So when you preach through um, books of the Bible, you know, verse after verse, occasionally you run into verses that you're like, you know, when I lined this out for Kevin and the worship team three or four months ago, you know, that I would preach on this verse today, I don't know what I was thinking. And so... um, why well, I didn't incorporate it in something else, uh, but it's an important verse and one that, that uh, Jesus uh, obviously thought was important or he wouldn't have said it, right? So um, before I pray, before I read the text, I just want to remind you about one thing about the Sermon on the Mount, something we forget, right? That, that this seems like this is just something that's written in the Bible, but this was a sermon that Jesus preached to real, live, breathing, hurting, discouraged, confused people. He looked into their eyes uh, and uh, knew what their life was like. And so he, he shares the verse that uh, we're going to look at this morning. And so it's good for us to remember that as we, um, as we uh, uh, hear uh, this text this morning. But before, uh, before I read that, let me pray. Father, we thank you today uh, that Jesus sat on that mountain and he looked into the eyes of all those people and he loved them. And he told him the truth, uh, and uh, he uh, spoke words that uh, uh, changed the world. And so I pray this morning that uh, by the power of your spirit, that you would open our eyes and our ears and our hearts uh, to take you at your word, to move us, to change us, to shape us, to encourage us, convict us, and comfort us. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, text is in the bulletin, also up on the screens behind me. This is God's word. We should hear it and respond to it as such this morning. Uh, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. So, wow, what a, what, a, what a great text, right? So, um, so as, we, as we come at this this morning, let me just say a couple of things right off the bat before we, before we dig in here, uh, because there's some, there's some great news for us in this text today. So first thing, dogs and pigs. Let's talk about that. Um, uh, first century uh, Jewish people don't have the same opinion of dogs that you do, okay? Uh, there's no, you know, dogs are a part of the family. None of that, right? And pigs were repugnant to uh, first century Jews, right? So who is Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about those people that are so hardened against the gospel, so hardened against the good news, so hardened against the grace and the mercy of God that they uh, not only resist it, but they angrily and bitterly resist it. Now, let me, say that, let me just say at the very outset, though, that the, the truth of the matter is, and AJ, you can put my notes up there, is that what Jesus is saying here in the greater context of his ministry and of the Sermon on the Mount, indeed, is, is going to require discernment. And discernment requires us to ask Jesus for discernment. Uh, because, uh, and to ask for discernment means that you don't know it all. And that means you need help. So that's a great place, uh, that's, a, that's a great place for us uh, to start here, right? So, so a lot of what we're going to do this morning is, on the one hand, 
But then on the other hand, to try to arrive at some principles here that can guide our understanding of the way Jesus wants the gospel to work uh, and the way that Jesus wants the grace of God to be proclaimed in the world. So, so we, need, we need to do a bit of that. And it requires discernment. Um, one of the things uh, I, uh, this time of year, I, uh, uh, many of you know I, like, I love to run, and, uh, but I run inside on a treadmill this time of year because in Richmond, you know, uh, what I found is if I run in the springtime, uh, when I'm done running, I'm actually wheezing. I'm actually getting sick uh, from all the pollen in the air, and so it seems better if I'm going to try to do something that's going to make me healthier to actually do that inside where there's less pollen. And so, so the gym where I, I, I run is beautiful place, fancy f- facility. I mean, I often go in there and I, I think I can't believe that I live such a great life that I get to come to a place like this, except for this. So because of the rancor and the bitterness in our uh, community and, and uh, society, there are no news channels because, you know, it's America. There's a screen everywhere. So there's screens all over the place. But what's worse than that is they don't even have ESPN up there. And so I can't even follow the basketball games when I'm on the treadmill. But the gym, because it is America, has a lot of things on the screen where they're selling the gym, where they're telling us how great the gym is. And so I'm looking at it, you know, and there's all these beautiful people, you know, that are just buff and doing it and just, they just, it's just awesome. And then it's got these little tidbits of information for you to, you know, to help you get healthier. And one of the things it says uh, that stuck out to me in the last week is, did you know that exercise is as good as medication for depression? which I'm sure is true. Um, It's a good thing. You know, I'm sure there are times and places for the depressed where we need to get some exercise and get some sunshine. But really, who's that for? We need a little discernment in who we're talking to about that, right? Just like, you're depressed? Just go run. What's wrong with you? Right? Can you see how it could be how it could be taken that way? My baby girl moved into her first house this weekend, and uh, you know, dads help, especially dads with pickup trucks. And uh, uh, I will not be praising with my right arm today because something happened to my shoulder yesterday, and I'm having trouble getting it up. I don't want you coming to me and saying, I got five things to give you to make your shoulder better. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> Keep it to yourself, all right? Uh, I'm, I'm going to figure this out, and the Lord's going to heal me and that kind of stuff, and I'm sure that's very helpful. But exercise some discernment when you come to a hurting old man to tell him how to fix himself, right? So the fact is, that's what Jesus is getting at here uh, in this text. And as we, as we look at this, I think that's going to be something that we're going to have to settle on. And frankly, by the end of the sermon, you're probably going to be confused and mystified about this. But I think actually, in some ways, that may not be a bad thing, because when we're conf- that sometimes confusion and mystification is the first step to saying, Jesus, I need help, right? But before we get to that, the most important thing about this passage is this. 
Listen. Listen. We have pearls. Beautiful pearls. Powerful pearls. Gracious pearls. Merciful pearls. Glorious pearls. I don't know what you came in here this morning thinking about the value of the gospel of Jesus Christ to you, but Jesus is saying to you today, and he's saying to me, wake up, you've got pearls, right? And it's important for us to begin there because the thing is, what Jesus wants us to understand and what Jesus understands too is that, that what we have and what he has given to us is so precious you know, we, we, get a, we get a little used to it. We get a little um, kind of a, a you know, it, it becomes common to us. But what Jesus is saying to us today is, you and I, the very people of God, the people that are there on that mountain that are looking at him, you and me this morning, we have pearls. And I want to tell you what some of those pearls are. The first pearl is that we have joy, that our blessings can never be taken away. What Jesus Christ has secured for you can never be taken away by inflation, cannot be taken away by evil rulers, cannot be taken away. Your righteousness, your inheritance, it's yours, locked, and certain, sure, forever. But not only that, we have joy because Jesus says, and because of what he has done for us, he takes our troubles and turns them to our good, Right? So, so the bad things that happen to me, the challenging things that happen to me are bad and they are challenging and they are difficult and they are hard. And yet I have the promise of God that in Jesus, because of his life, death, and resurrection for me, because of his work for me, I can trust and I can know that those things work out for my good. Next slide. Pearl number two, you and I have an identity not based on performance. Man, this, speaking of treadmills, the world we live in is a giant treadmill, right? That we spend our time and energy trying to, to work ourselves, perform ourselves into a place where we can be accepted. But the gospel says you are accepted in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He is for you. You belong to him. Your performance is, is not the, the key, is not the entryway into a relationship with Christ. It's his performance for you. Secondly, we have a vision for justice rooted in the cross that neither says live and let live, right? Nor oppresses those who disagree, right? It's, it's something altogether different that, that what we believe is is that it, in the cross of Jesus Christ, we find the very definition and the very reality of the justice of God and the mercy of God meeting together. Next, we have an unfading hope, even a resurrection hope. As Peter says, that it's kept for us. It's a living hope, right? We have a freedom from guilt and shame that doesn't minimize our sin. You know, typ typically the way we minimize our sin is it's no big deal or, or we have our, our kind of pet sins that we, we think are no big deal or we have our pet sinners that we think they're okay but these other sinners over here are not okay. That's not what the gospel is. What the gospel says is you are a sinner, you are broken. And, and, and you, in fact, it's not just that you're broken. You're dead in trespasses and sins. But Jesus makes you alive. 
In Christ, we have so much love and power that we can lay down our lives for the sake of others. Jesus loves us so much. We are so very dear to him. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. He gives us the very power, same power that raised him from the dead. We are loved. We are powerful. And we can lay it down. We can lay our lives down because Jesus laid his life down. We can lay it down for the sake of others. Next slide. We can face death without fear. And not only that, we can face our death without fear, and we can do it in such a way that as we trust Jesus with our eternity, as we trust him with, with where we are headed, we can trust those we leave behind to this Jesus. No fear. We have rest. Boy, do we ever need some rest, right? We can lay our burdens down, we can lay our doing down, we can lay our uh, treadmill of trying to seek to create our own righteousness down, and we can rest in the work that Jesus has done for us. We have forgiveness that empowers a forgiveness that is honest. You've heard me say this a million times, you know, when somebody comes to you and says, I need you to forgive me, don't you ever say to them, that's not a big deal. Mm-mm, that's not right. You know, the, the fact of the matter is, we, the, the, the forgiveness that we have in Christ is full and free because we needed it to be full and free. We're loved better than we could ever hope by someone who knows all our secrets. You know, don't we walk around in fear that if people really knew who we were, what we think, the secret things about us that we would be unacceptable. But the truth is, Jesus knows that about you, and he does not find that repulsive. In fact, he is moved in compassion towards you, right? So what is Jesus counseling his people to do here by saying these, these words about pearls and not casting them before pigs and throwing what is holy to the dogs? Well, here's a couple of things to keep in mind. Remember I said, as we began this morning, that Jesus is looking into the eyes of the people in the crowd. He sees them and he knows. What does he know? Well, he knows that he'll die. He knows that he will be nailed to a cross. But you know what else he knows? He knows, as he looks into the eyes of many of his followers, they're going to die too. That they'll be killed for their witness. That they'll be martyrs in his name, right? And so it's important for us to understand the context of these words and, the, and, 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 and where we come at this, right? Because the fact of the matter is, next slide, AJ, that as we, as we think about this, we need discernment about this because what, what might happen to us is, is that we might be in a situation where we are uh, faithfully proclaiming the riches of the gospel, faithfully laying the pearls out in front of people and they keep getting rejected and they keep getting rejected. And we could say, you know what? I hate those people. I, I cannot do this anymore. I, I just quit. I just quit. Well, there's no room for hating the enemies of God, your own enemies, right? I mean, Jesus has just spent so much of this sermon and so much of his teaching ministry telling us to love our enemies. 
He just got finished in the verses before this telling us to take the log out of our own eye before we go get the speck out of our brother's eye. So, so, the, so the fact is, what he is saying to us is that our tendency, that, that where we are most likely to go, is that when we meet with resistance to the ministry that Jesus has given us, when we meet with resistance to the proclamation of the gospel, our tendency will be to grow tired, our tendency will be to grow afraid, our tendency will be to grow angry and maybe even vengeful so that we're, we might even have a bit of delight in shaking the dust off and saying, have at it. And so there's a lot more verses. Jesus says a lot more about loving our enemies than he does about this. But, but he does say that there are times and there are places in the ministry of individuals and in the ministry of a church and in the work of a mission where we need to exercise some discernment. I mean, look at, look at what Jesus says in Matthew 15 about the Pharisees. He says, let them alone. They're blind guides. And if the blind lead the blind, both will fall into a pit. So we know, I mean, you can't read the Gospels without seeing Jesus struggling with the Pharisees, arguing with the Pharisees. The Pharisees want to kill him. I mean, uh, and they want to kill him so bad that they join with their arch enemies, the Sadducees, because they, they hate him more than they hate them, right? So, so, the fact, so the fact of the matter is, he does at some times and at some places say, you know what, we're, we're done with this particular group of people. We even read in Acts with Paul. And this is my favorite, this is my favorite passage about um, dogs and pigs. So when Silas and Timothy arrived in, from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and he went to the house of a man named Titius Justus a worshiper of God, his house was next door to the synagogue. <laughs> Isn't that funny? So he's like, okay, you're not going to listen to this? I'm going to move on right next door. Do you think they saw him coming and going? Do you think they knew what was going on there? But it gets better, right? Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord, together with his entire household, and many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. Right? So, so you, you have the, kind of a, 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 a mixed situation here. You know, we would like it to be all black and white, right? We would like it all to be so perfectly clear here, but for whatever reason, Paul's got his mind and his heart on the word he's preaching, he's, he's doing this work, and he realizes that for the sake of the mission, he's got to do something else. He's got to move next door. He's got to, he's got to change things a little bit. And so, so he does that for the sake of the mission so that uh, Crispus and uh, 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 Titius Justus can, can, can hear the word and can grow and can bear fruit, right? So, so the, the fact of the matter is what you have to see about this is he's not like, he's not hating on them. He's not seeking vengeance on them. He's simply recognizing for the sake of the mission, there are times and there are places where you have to do something different. And because God is so big and the gospel is so great, he can take his enemies and turn them to friends. And so we, I'm sure as Paul does that, he decides he's going to move on here and he's going to try to find 
uh, a more fruitful field in which to proclaim the gospel. Next slide. But at the same time, like, like I said, you're going to see on the one hand, on the other hand, Jesus weeps over Jerusalem the week before he's dead. His heart's broken over the anger and the bitterness and the rejection that he's going to see there. And he will patiently display his hand and his side to his friend Thomas, who says he won't believe unless he does that. So what are we to make of this? Well, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Listen. A sower went out to sow. And he sows some seed and it falls on the walkway and the birds eat it. And he sows some seed and some rocky soil. And it sprouts up and then dies in the noonday sun. And he sows some seed where the weeds grow and they choke it out. But you know what? There's a harvest. There's a harvest. And that's the thing that we can't lose sight of, right? Is the fact that the the promise of God here is not that every seed is going to sprout up and do magical and wonderful and great things. But what we do have the promise is, is that our God will see to it that he will take his word of the gospel, that he will take this word about Jesus Christ, and that there will be a harvest and that there will be fruit born. We don't know when, we don't know where, we don't often know how, but we have the promise and the power of God that he's going to do that. There's going to be a harvest, so we can rest in that, right? And so as we think about that and as we recognize that, the harvest, that there's going to be a harvest, we participate in that harvest if we don't give way to fatigue and fear. You know, fear is such a big thing here, right? That we're afraid to share the word of the gospel. We're af- afraid of, of, of rejection or we're afraid of, uh, of, of something else. There's, there's no need to be afraid. Jesus knew this about us and he knew this about uh, our witness and what we were doing. And so we, we can trust him with that. But it, I tell you what, fatigue is a tough one. It leads to despair, Right? but there's going to be a harvest. And so we take our, our Lord at his word. We take Jesus at his word that he will bring a harvest and that he will use us. And so we have freedom in Christ to proclaim the gospel and we leave the harvest, the sure harvest, the certain harvest uh, up to him. And so what do you do? I don't know. I don't know. I, 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 uh, those of you who have been around me a long time and have been uh, in my office with me, you know that uh, I, I, I pray the prayer from James a lot that um, uh, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask and the Lord gives without reproach. And I pray regularly, Jesus, we're holding you to that promise, Right? And so the fact of the matter is, as we bear witness to the Lord, as we do this work that he's called us to do, let's exercise the discernment and the humility to ask Jesus to help us. Uh, Not just to trust him and not just to have power, but to have wisdom and discernment 
and how he wants us uh, to do the work he's called us to do. Hear these words of institution of the Lord's Supper. Therefore, we proclaim the mystery of the faith. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Let us keep the peace. The gifts of God for the people of God. Let's confess our sins together. Would you, would you pray with me? Hear our, our words, words and our, our groanings, O Lord. Lord. Give attention to our cry for mercy. You are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. You abhor the bloodthirsty and deceitful. Forgive us, good Lord. We have sinned against you and our neighbor. We have sought to justify ourselves before you. We have attempted to atone for our sins and punish the sins of others. And so we have boasted in sin and self. By your mercy alone, by the abundance of your steadfast love, may we enter your house. Because of your Son, O Lord, let us find refuge in you. Take away our sins and let us ever sing for joy. Cover us with your favor as with a shield for the sake of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Brothers and sisters, hear these words of encouragement. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. On the night in which he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and he broke it, just as I do now, ministering in his name, and he gave it to his disciples. We have pearls. Uh, we have pearls in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have pearls in the gift of the Holy Spirit. We have pearls in the body of Christ. And one of the things that I, as I've thought about this this week, is that uh, part of what will make heaven heaven is uh, seeing and appreciating and lavishing uh, uh, and luxuriating in those 
pearls forever. And so that is uh, the harvest that uh, we eagerly uh, look forward to and the harvest that we eagerly anticipate. If your hope today, uh, your trust today is in Jesus, his life, death, and resurrection, and you have proclaimed that to a body of believers somewhere, he's made a place for you at this table. Uh, He uh, has uh, lived your life, died your death, and risen again for you. And he is here by his spirit to nourish, to renew, uh, to restore, to help, to encourage, to convict and comfort us today. If that's your hope, you proclaim that somewhere to a body of believers, Jesus welcomes you. Uh, As the elders come down front uh, this morning to assist me, let me remind you uh, that uh, some of the trays have wine and a gluten-free wafer, and some have juice with a gluten-free wafer. If you're new here, uh, what you'll find is two cups, uh, one with juice or wine in it on the top one, and a tiny little uh, gluten-free wafer underneath that. Uh, If you're able to come forward and uh, be uh, served, uh, please do that. Uh, If you're unable to come forward, raise your hand and we'll see to it uh, that you get served. Once everybody has uh, all the elements, uh, we'll eat the bread and drink the cup uh, together.